0: This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN Columbia.
1: to you, good day to you, wherever you may be as you're listening to this radio program. This is Radio Orbit, and my name is Mike Hagan. Every Monday night from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m., we do it up here on Radio Orbit, and tonight we're going to do it again. It's the 20th of February, 2006, so glad you're listening tonight, and what are we going to do tonight? Let's see. Uh, Well, I better say thanks real fast to Joanna Harcourt-Smith for a wonderful program last week, and to Kent Stedman, my friend, and uh, compadre. Thanks to both of them for being on the program. It was a wonderful show, and it's up on the archives right now. If you're interested in going to listen to that, if you missed it, or if you think a friend might want to hear it or something like that, it's up there on the archives. You can go the, over to, uh, just hop on the web and go over to Mike MikeHagan, dot com, And... Uh, Click on the archives page, and you can just download last week's show and the week before that, or the week before that, or the week before that. I could say that for quite a while. There are many weeks before that, and all of them are available for download or for stream on the web, and I hope you take advantage of that and enjoy them while they last. All right. Okay, uh, let's see. Yeah, Joanna... We'll talk more about uh, Future Primitive, my project with Joanna uh, in the future, but it was fun to talk with her on the air and talk a little bit about what's happening in her life and some of the things that we're thinking about doing in the future here. Also, a thank you to Lotigi for the music last week. Great stuff, and it fit in with the program wonderfully. So, all right, tonight we are going to take a break from the norm. Not going to do an interview tonight. Just going to do the show myself and uh, talk a little bit about some news and some things that are on my mind. Lots of great stuff in the news, and we haven't we haven't spent a whole lot of time on that over the last few weeks, so there's lots of cool things in the news that we'll talk about. Uh, might open the phone lines a little bit later, see if anybody out there has anything to talk about, anything to say. Just catch up a little bit tonight, play some great music. We're going to mix it up a little bit tonight, play a collection of uh, some recent artists that have been featured on the program. Always loved the, uh, the music section of the show, or the music component of the show, maybe I should say, and the last few weeks we've had some great stuff, and I've got a whole bunch of new stuff too that's sort of in the uh, inbox on email or whatever, but uh, anyway, lots of good new music that'll be coming to you soon, and tonight we're going to play some of the stuff that we've played over the last few weeks, okay? All right, uh, as far as the music... If you go on the web, we are very close. I'm not sure if Larry has it done or not, but we're pretty close. I I should have looked today, um, and I will uh, when I get logged on here a little bit later. But anyway, on the website, the music archives page should be, if it's not up, it's almost ready. And all of the artists that we've had on the program over the last, oh, few months, since we've been doing primarily independent music, will be up there, and there will be songs and websites and downloads and lots of different stuff for all of the artists that are uh being featured on the program and ones that have been on here in the past and then uh the ones that we have in the future will all <clears throat> will also be included there. So uh so take a look over at the music page on the website when you get a chance. That's at mikehagan.com and all this stuff uh if it's not available now it will be available really soon, okay? All right, thanks for the nice emails, everyone who uh, wrote in over the last week, a special hello and welcome uh, to the guys at Cosmic Waves Radio, and it's just sort of our initial contact, we're getting to know one another, but I'm really looking forward to working with you and excited about uh, our project together. Hello to everybody else listening over the web, Uh, I got a few emails over the last week about podcasting, and uh, I'm glad to hear that it's working and some people are actually using it, so... Yeah, the podcast is up and running, and if you're interested in having the most recent installment of Radio Orbit just sort of magically appearing on your iPod or in your iTunes mailbox or uh, uh, through some other RSS magic, well, just uh, go over to Radio Orbit and click on the podcast link, and you can set it up, so that's the way it happens and people are starting to use that, so I'm glad about it, because it's really cool. I'd set it up myself <clears throat> on my computer just to make sure that it worked, and, uh, you know, I've, I'd i never done it before, and I've got, like, uh, uh, no real desire to hear my own voice, you know? I sort of do the show, and then, I don't know, forget about them, kind of, but... It was pretty cool to load that podcast and see how the most recent show just automatically started to download, and then I began to listen to it, and it was kind of cool. So anyway, all that stuff on the web at MikeHagan.com. Let me hear from you if you're using that or anything else. If you're interested in uh, the program, if you have comments or questions or concerns, any of that stuff, make sure you send me an email or give me a call here at the station. Uh, my email address while we're at it is Orbit Radio, OrbitRadio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, OrbitRadio, at com, And the website is, of course, www.MikeHagan.com. And if you want to reach me in the studio here, the number is 573-874-5676. When we go to a break, you're welcome to call on that uh, on that line. And the number... Uh, for call-ins, which we'll probably do in a little while here, is area code 573-443-8255. Alright, that's 573-443-8255. When we open the phone lines, that'll be the number, uh, that'll be the number to call, alright? Alright, let's see, what else is going on? Let's talk a little bit about some upcoming guests. And I'll tell you what I've got planned for, uh, for the next few weeks. Of course, tonight uh, we're going to take a night off and just open the phones and talk about news and whatever else is on your mind. Next week, Neil Haig. Uh, He's an amazing artist, and he's also a talented writer an illustrator, and in fact, uh, the illustrator for an interesting author whose name is David Icke. Some of you listeners may be familiar with David. Anyway, uh, Neil Haig is the illustrator for many of David Icke's books. And he's a real interesting fellow, and we'll be talking to him live from his home in uh, uh, in the United Kingdom. That's next Monday. And let's see, what else? Uh, the following week, on the 6th of March, Richard Souter. Uh For those of you who are unfamiliar, Richard Souter is one of the experts on the planet when it comes to knowledge about underground facilities, underground bases, and uh, the way that uh, underground bases and underground facilities are actually manufactured and this may sound like a stretch uh, or it may just be something that you're unfamiliar with but you know it's interesting on this program uh, we talk quite a bit about what's happening in the stars and in the skies above our heads but we rarely talk about what's happening beneath the earth underneath our feet. And we're going to talk about that with uh, with Richard Sauter in a couple of weeks. And trust me, it will be a fascinating conversation. It's amazing. Uh, it's sort of the same exact phenomenon, actually, as I think about it. There are many, many things that are happening above our heads that we are unfamiliar with or that we do not perceive, although they happen uh, all the time. And uh, in the same fashion, there are many, many things that happen underneath the ground uh, that we are unaware of, that we do not perceive that are happening all the time as well. Uh, So anyway, Richard Sauter coming up in a couple weeks. We'll talk with him about underground bases. And uh, let's see, John Major Jenkins. I'm thinking that John will be back on the 13th of March. That's what I'm shooting for. It may or may not work out. I haven't quite got confirmed uh, from John yet, but I hope that we'll be able to come back on the air with John Major Jenkins real soon. There were a lot of people that I uh, would like to hear more from him. Michael Tserion. speaking of people coming back on the air, uh, Michael Tserion returns on March 20th. And we're going to be talking about the Celtic origins of civilization, the Irish origins of civilization. And that will be on the Equinox, actually, a very fitting program to have Michael uh, back on the air. That's March 20th, Michael Tserion of course, we've got Stephen Buner, Dennis McKenna, Richard Glenn Bohr, all these guys coming up. We're going to do a show with T. Peter Park in, uh, in April. He is a, a Fortian expert on H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, we'll probably talk a lot about Charlie Fort, uh, uh, Charles Hoy Fort as well. Charlie Fort, uh, Charlie Fort uh, was an amazing and interesting man. And uh, T. Peter Park will have a lot to say about Charles Fort as well when uh, we we'll talk about H.P. Lovecraft, and that'll be in April. Lots of other things coming up. Got a lot of interesting folks in the wing, and we'll just keep bringing it to you as long as we can. All right? All right, this is Mike, and uh, you are listening to Radio Orbit. Let's take care of a little bit of business here, and then we'll come back and play some music, I think. Got to do space weather for sure. Lots of news and lots of great music tonight, so stick around, and I'll talk to you in just a few minutes, okay? This is Mike, and you are listening to Radio Orbit. Let's play a little bit of music here, start things off with my good friend Eskimo. Wonderful stuff was featured on with John Major Jenkins just a couple weeks ago, as a matter of fact. This one is called Rain 320. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. All right, good stuff there from Eskimo. Uh, this is Mike Hayden. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And it is uh, just about 11:26 on the 20th of February, 2006. And before we get along with the program, I want to mention one other thing. Before, when we were talking about upcoming guests, I neglected to mention something. And I don't know if he's going to be a guest or not, but I got the most amazing thing in the mail a couple of weeks ago, and it was a, a folder with about a hundred and some odd pieces of paper in it, all typed on a typewriter and included clippings from newspaper articles and uh, pictures that had been pasted to certain pages and just a an amazing thing actually that I got in the mail and it came from a gentleman whose name is Michael Means. And I don't know a whole lot about Michael. I spoke to him one time on the telephone a couple of months ago, and we had an interesting conversation, and it centered around Franz Kafka, the amazing writer. And Michael Means has put together this amazing body of work uh, that uh, basically is an analysis of of the works and writings of Franz Kafka. And the actual title of the piece, if there is one, is called, and get this, An Eschatological Cosmology Implicit in the Works and Writings of Franz Kafka. And it is fascinating stuff, and I'm just now uh, getting my hands around it and have yet to get my mind around it, but I'm working on it, and I'm going to talk further with Michael, and maybe we'll find a way to get him on the program here and talk a little bit about this, because it's just another absolutely fascinating uh, thread that somehow worked its way over here to orbit. So, Anyway, Michael Means, thanks for the amazing work, and I hope we have a chance to talk in the future here. Okay. All right, it is, uh, as I said, just about 11.30. Let's do space weather, but before we do that, um, I'm just going to sort of open the phone lines now, and uh, we'll just sort of mix it up. I'll do space weather in the meantime, but if anybody wants to call uh, from here on out, the uh, number, 573-443-8255. That's 573-874. No, it's not. 573-443-8255. Give me a buzz, and uh, we can... Chat it up a little bit, okay all right space weather quiet sun the sun is still uh, quiet and has not been a lot of activity for the last few weeks. not a lot of sunspots. if you look at the uh, imagery from the satellites you'll see it's just a pretty much a blank orange disc up there, and uh, sunspots usually show up as dark spots, and right now it's uh, very clear, and the sun is very quiet and uh I can change at any moment. So we just keep watching and thank the sun for rising every day and giving us warmth and and light. And, you know, the sun really doesn't rise every day, by the way. That's just sort of a metaphor. What happens is the earth spins around and uh, creates the illusion, of course, of the sun rising and falling. Uh, Let's see. New moon next week was a beautiful full moon uh last week and uh just sort of waning right now towards the new moon. So let's grab a phone call here real fast and we'll come back and finish up space weather in just a minute. Good evening, you're on Radio Orbit. Who's this?
2: Hi, this is Barry White.
1: Hey, Barry, how are you?
2: I was talking to you earlier this week. Uh...
1: Interesting that you called. The, you you have sort of an interesting uh story that's ongoing.
2: Yes, I was just watching Channel Eight News on TV, and uh, it looks like the City Council is trying to toughen up the uh, ordinances on uh, marijuana use.
1: Yeah, after it was passed by voters, uh, I guess I guess the the voters uh, say is not that important. I mean, we pass we pass an ordinance or whatever. It obviously passed with flying colors, and then as soon as it passes, it it, it begins to get modified and manipulated. Um, I don't know that much about it, but. Uh, uh, maybe we could. Uh, why don't we talk real quickly about your, uh, who you are and your situation and why you're even interested in this stuff?
2: Well, I uh, I was uh, stopped over in Kansas in Leavenworth and I was uh, charged with four one-hundredths of a gram of uh, ditchweed seeds that were uh, found in my friend's car that never had any seeds, and uh, I've been fighting this case for seven months, and fortunately. Um, back in april i uh, joined the church of cognizance which is uh, one of uh, 100 marijuana churches that are across the country uh, forming uh, to uh, promote the use of uh, marijuana as a spiritual uh, sacrament and as a uh, food source as well
1: it's and and there are over 100 of these churches you said
2: oh yes there's a uh, uh marijuana uh yeah, cannabis Marijuana marijuana Initiative uh, that's uh, starting out in California and uh, it's called the UCM.org United Cannabis Ministries as a site that you can go to to uh, find out more about what they're doing and, and uh, brave enough to do it with the medical marijuana out in California. Uh, one of the founding members was murdered in his house after Thanksgiving happened. and <laughs> We're all sad to hear that, but uh, out in Arizona is the uh, Church of Cognizance, and it's called the Church of Cognizance because uh, it promotes uh, awareness, and uh, it's normally seen as uh, intoxication or inebriation, which is really not the case at all.
1: And we're talking about uh, with, with with the use of cannabis.
2: Yes, and uh, spiritually uh, and through 5,000 years of uh, history as promoted by the Avestas and uh, the Shinto religion and Zoroastrians and the Sufis uh, have used this as a food source um, throughout history. And it's one of the uh, most uh, nutritious substances that uh on, on the earth. Uh, and uh, they make it by pounding the seeds and the, and the leaves together and it forms a uh, golden liquid called Hm. and our uh, church website is called org, which is H-A-O-M-A, and you go to that site, and there's a wealth of uh, information about the history and traditional uses uh, of marijuana other than smoking it.
1: Yeah, I mean, actually, uh, smoking of cannabis is a relatively new phenomenon, actually, I think. I know that the plant... Certainly is one one of the most, if not the most. I mean, it has to be one of the one one of the Earth's oldest cultivated plants for the for the reasons that that you point out. I mean, it has a tremendous amount of value not only for uh, for food but for animal fodder and for uh, for cordage. Um. You can do a lot of things for it, and obviously.
2: As a substitute for fuel. Uh, yeah, and, as
1: a fuel as well,
2: yeah. It's got more volatile uh, uh, oils in its uh, seeds than any other plant on the planet. Hmm. And uh, that would certainly be a, a good choice for uh, biofuels and, yeah. and uh, not to mention food and clothing and shelter and paper and rope and twine and burlap and yeah, canvas. gosh,
1: <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing. And, and I, I don't talk about it a whole lot on the, on, on the show because... Um, there's another guy here at the station that uh that, that talks quite a bit about marijuana issues although I don't although he's usually just uh, he talks a lot about the legal side of it and there's so much more to this whole story and I find it fascinating that that this particular plant does have all of these uh beneficial uses and it's interesting that it's been only recently, again in recent history, that it became uh, demonized in the way that it is now. I mean, I think even uh, uh, even in the early, well, in the mid 30s, I think, even, uh, or maybe I'm mistaken. It may have been before World War One, as opposed to World War Two. But the bottom line was there was a time in the in the in the recent past where uh, where hemp was actually required uh if you if you owned a plot of land that was over a certain acreage you were actually required by the government to grow hemp because they required uh a lot of uh the fiber to make ropes for the boats in the navy and all this yeah. sort of thing but uh anyway it's absolutely fascinating what happened with with the uh the the, the turnabout as far as the acceptance of this plant
2: well that uh, was like the uh, hemp for victory movie that the government produced well, urging that, yeah. the farmers to grow it and north hempstead and yeah, uh, yeah. lots of cities were named after hemp and uh it's twine and burlap and, and canvas are still made from hemp and mm. the parchment paper that the constitution was printed on was made from hemp um but uh uh, uh on the other shows when they get into the legal battles over uh, medical marijuana um uh, we're coming from a religious and spiritual um front because um It's misunderstood so much uh, because the way it it helps people medically is not exactly how they expect it to be. It uh, activates uh, THC receptors all over the body, and it allows the body to start accepting nutrition again. Diseases such as AIDS or cancer are necessarily uh, seen as a uh, nutrition blocker. Hmm and dopamine is a is a uh a neuron expander uh accelerator and but the THC receptors are uh opened up because marijuana is basically a neuro expander and that's why they call it a mind expanding experience because it's physically expanding and it brings a, a lot of awareness um but just after um my uh case was dismissed, and all the other cases that have been brought before court, uh, members of our church, uh, just looks like we're ready to make a legal breakthrough. Um, the cases are just uh, dismissed and brushed under the the rug someplace. But uh, just last week, uh, a man named Joe Butts was coming through Missouri uh, on a uh, courier run to transport um, marijuana sacrament from one church to another and he was stopped in Missouri. Now Missouri's uh constitution protects um spiritual uses uh and that's uh and his arrest was a violation of uh section 8 of Kansas Bill of Rights uh was well my my arrest was uh violated 8 of the Kansas Bill of Rights but the uh violations in Missouri is Article 1, Section 5 of the Missouri Constitution, which guarantees freedom of religion by the Religious uh, Freedom and Restoration Act. It was uh, passed way back in the 90s. And this opens up a whole new case because uh, it was alleged that he was uh, busted with 100 kilos. Whoa. And uh, they don't want to let this big fish slip away. Uh, like uh, my uh, well, four I, one hundredths of a gram was
1: you know? Barry. Let me, let me ask you a question. What, what's the protocol for for moving a uh, hundred kilos of of marijuana?
2: Well, like, I'm still trying to confirm if if that was a hundred kilos or whatever. Not. I mean, if you're yeah. going
1: to, I mean, I mean, typically when they move it from one church to another or whatever, I mean, is there a protocol or is there a legal protocol or is or is there not not one? Maybe?
2: Well, it, it, there is a legal. Uh, pro- protocol because religious uh right. rights and religious things aren't aren't supposed to be molested <clears throat> in any of the states but uh Missouri has a more clear uh clearer uh definition of of what that protocol is and um it was definitely violated in this uh case the um uh, the marijuana itself was packaged uh, very well and, it, you know, driven by uh, somebody who looked uh, like uh, a common everyday person, you know, and had a fairly new car, and um, there was no uh, reason to suspect him. And uh, I heard from the uh, tow truck uh, people that they uh, acted on a tip, but if there was a legal tip, they would have stopped the car because it was under investigation, and they didn't. They just said it was swerving around a truck or something. Hmm. Then they'll take the uh, drug dog out and just walk it around your car. And in my case, on the video, it was clear to see that the dog didn't hit on my car, bark or point or scratch or paw or anything. And in uh, Joe Butts's case, the dog went around the car three or four times. And the uh, officer kept patting the wheels and trying to get the dog to do something, and the dog wasn't interested at all.
0: Because
2: hmm. precautions were taken, because it's not a uh, you know out of the the box, uh, out of the bun, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yet that mm-hmm. people know anything about this. Huh. Well, case may be uh, presented to uh, the um, Supreme Court here in Missouri pretty soon. I hope and. Uh, well, be able to address these issues.
1: Well, I mean, maybe maybe that's what it takes. You know, uh, some sometimes that that's what it takes is to get a to get a case up to that level uh, with people that actually understand what they're doing uh, uh, in the defense of it, and and maybe we can make some headway. You know, the question that that always comes to mind is why, why, why is it such a big deal? I mean. Uh, And and, and that's a question that I I put to you. I mean, what is such the big deal about marijuana? I mean, it is, look, we all know the propaganda, whatever, okay? But the fact of the matter is the stuff is no more dangerous than uh, than many, many other things that are out there. Uh, In fact, it has many beneficial uses, uh, some of which you point out. And it also has beneficial uses uh, perhaps for the individual, uh, from a spiritual uh, point of view, or or and I mean I'm willing to say just from a relaxation point of view, If somebody wants to uh, to to kick back and twist a bomber, it's fine with me as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and if however you want to utilize it, I just don't get it. Uh, maybe you could shed some light on this. Why is this substance a natural? It's not synthesized. It's not. Uh, you know, made in a laboratory, it's a, it's, a, it's a plant that grows from the mother earth. What is the problem?
2: Well, they say if you eat eight raw potatoes, it's toxic enough to kill you. And they've never been able to prove that uh, marijuana is a, is a threat to the public safety or actually it promotes health. And um, Joe Butts was actually doing people a favor uh, by uh, taking on this sacrifice to uh, get Marijuana to people who are dying and, uh, people who are, uh, are ill and, and need it and it's been proven so and they believe in it and it's something real and tangible that gives them, uh, solace and succor and, and they, they can, they should be allowed to pursue it. Uh,
1: and not Thomas, only that. Thomas
2: Jefferson said that does mean no injury for my neighbor to say there are 20 gods or no god. But we have a religion and we have to prove that we have a religion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the, that's the other thing on the line, you know, whose religion gets to be lawful and whose religion mm-hmm. are deemed unlawful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, I wish you the best of luck. Wh- wh- hey,
3: Mike, uh, can I insert for a minute?
1: Yeah, who's this? Yeah, this
3: is Carolyn Matthews. Oh, hi, I'm Carolyn. I'm assisting on the case. How are you? Uh I'm a, a local attorney, and if people want to call with inquiries or if they want to help, um, my number is 443 5985 and um we don't really know how soon this might get appealed but uh we're in the early stages of uh uh you know beginning the case it just started uh this past week uh in uh, Franklin County near St. Louis and uh, there are a lot of ramifications with this because it also uh overlaps from religious use of marijuana to medical use of marijuana because some of these uh, courier deliveries or to go to wellness centers for people who are sick or dying or, you know, are using the nutritional therapy um, as well as for religious purposes. Hmm. So it's really of interest to a wide spectrum of the public, I would say, because the medical marijuana is getting a lot more acceptance than it used to.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting that... Uh... Even, you know, Bari uh, mentioned California as sort of a starting place for all this thing, and it's really interesting what the federal government uh, is is involved in doing with regard to states. In other words, there have been a number of cases now where states actually uh, get a little bit more liberal with regard uh, to cannabis, but then the feds try to step in and actually uh, n- negate uh, the will of the people in those cases as well.
3: Yes, and I, I think this... Um Really relates a lot to the work that uh, people like Dan Beats on uh, Keopin show tomorrow night mm-hmm. um, have been doing to compile uh, the evidence that is really quite overwhelming from research that's been done for many decades, including reports that go back as far as like nixon's uh, administration uh, Many reports have shown that marijuana is either not dangerous at all or so of so little danger as to be like Burly pointed out less dangerous than some foods. And uh, there's been no reported death from marijuana. And the, uh, many of the myths about it have been proven untrue, mm. especially in a, in a whole series of experiments in, in um, Canada, some, some recent ones even, that show that it is not, quote-unquote, the gateway drug. Yeah. The only thing that usually leads to other things is tobacco. Mm. That most people who go to hard drugs have tried tobacco before that, but yeah. <laughs> not necessarily pot, you know. Mm. <laughs> but anyway, uh I wanted to be sure that you got the website. Did you give that yet, Barry? Yeah,
1: let's give that out one more time, Barry, and then uh, Carolyn, you can give out your phone number
2: one more okay, time too.
1: Thanks.
2: Okay, The Hayoma site is h-a-o-m-a dot org. Right. Can join the church at i-o-m-m dot info. I-o-m-m dot info. Uh, you can find out about all of the seven cases that have been brought before courts uh, at hayoma.us. dot us, and. Um, uh, there's always new breaking news on that uh, site to uh, uh, get you interested in the legal other legal aspects that haven't been looked at by the public at all. Okay, Carolyn and I were discussing the case tonight when your show came on, so we had to be first in line to call you up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right.
3: as always, uh, many of the wonderful efforts to change the laws in this country in ways that will really protect uh, minorities as well as the majority, in my view. I think our, our rights are all linked up, and if we don't take care of the minorities, it ends up hurting everyone. Um, and many, most of these causes, or many of them anyway, are struggling for funds, as is this one. So we welcome donations as well as any ideas of referrals of organizations that might want to sign on for amicus briefs in the future or any kinds of help ranging from the very small up to the large um is, is appreciated and uh welcome to call at my office number four four three five nine eight five. And uh that's Carolyn Matthews and I appreciate anyone's call. Um and hope that people will spread the word about this because uh there are a lot of ramifications and I think it goes along also with uh, hoping that people would take an active involvement in, in politics at all levels and in expressing their views to their politicians because uh, many politicians are scared to stick their neck out on things, but if they realized how much, uh, what a large percentage of the public really does want liberalization of these laws, um, I think they might be a little more willing to put their foot out there.
2: Our church isn't so interested in changing laws, but to obtain protection under the existing laws that are provided by for our constitution, our protection of religious freedoms in our country, which is was what it was founded on in the first place. Yes, mm. so but the problem is our
3: <laughs> our recent judges and our recent Supreme Court have been whittling away at these basic rights. So uh, keep keep a vigilance on on these things. Our liberties are too precious to let them fade away. And uh, thank you very much for letting us go
1: on the air. Well, you're welcome, and thanks for sharing your story. I wish you guys the best of luck. And, you know, you're absolutely right, and and history tells us, you know, we're told that our rights are inherent, and, uh, you know, we grow up with this idea that we all have these rights. But it turns out that that's really not the case. It turns out that you have to fight for them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, And if you're not willing to fight for them, they're not uh, handed up very easily, and you can ask the women's movement about that. You can ask the Native American peoples about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can ask a lot of you know people talk about social justice. Well, there is none, uh, quite frankly. And
3: except for people, what people stand up and that's exactly that's
1: exactly uh-huh. right. What you fight for. So I wish you guys the best of luck, and uh, um, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Okay, we'll we'll follow up at uh, follow up on it in the future. Okay. Thank Perfect.
0: you. Have a good evening.
1: All right. Take care of yourself, guys. Good night. All right. Good night. All right. Uh, thanks to Bari and Carolyn, and you know, uh, it's interesting the the idea about um, marijuana, and I'm not sure if I've ever talked about this on the air uh, ever before. But you know, my position on the whole thing, or or what I think is going on, and one of the things that doesn't really get talked about much from either side of the debate, either the either the the uh, the pro marijuana people or the people that want to keep it uh, illegal is, and Barry and I spoke about this a little bit uh, when we first talked a couple of weeks ago, but it's the fact that marijuana or cannabis really does change people. Regular use of cannabis really does change people, and the way that it changes them is in a manner that is not quite friendly to the values that are promoted by Industrial consumer capitalism, uh, it's simple. Uh, the values that it promotes are uh, more of a laid-back, family-style, erotic lifestyle, maybe. Uh, it promotes sharing, conversation, introspection, uh, questioning. It breaks down barriers between people and uh, the maintaining of barriers between, pe- uh, between people is one of, the, uh, one of the primary roles of government. And they'll never tell you that, but that's exactly what their goal is, is to keep people separated, to keep boundaries and barriers up and in place. And uh, marijuana is a boundary-dissolving substance, and it changes people. And I think that this is, the, this is fully in the minds of the suppressor, I think they know full well that that's exactly what would happen. with, uh, And that's why uh, the legalization of marijuana would be a very big deal, in my opinion. I don't think it's a small deal. I think it would be a very big deal because I think it will end up actually transforming society. But it will transform the society into something that those that are currently in place and in control have no interest in, uh, in moving towards and this is one of the things about pot about marijuana that at least in my opinion doesn't seem to be talked about very often the fact uh that it kind of turns you against the sort of uh the values of capitalism which are sort of outward pushing dominator predator style get what you can get as fast as you can uh you know take what's yours that sort of thing it's an outward pushing style very aggressive dominator style which is uh, which is sort of the archetype of the whole western Uh, the whole western setup Uh, but uh, marijuana is antithetical to that whole situation and I think that that's fully understood by the people that want to make sure that this stays uh, a schedule one drug which is absolutely outrageous but we've seen it before and there are other substances that are on those schedules that shouldn't be there as well and uh, psilocybin of course Absolutely outrageous uh, that psilocybin is considered a drug at all, first of all, Uh, but uh, certainly uh, a Schedule I drug that is considered to have absolutely no benefit to the human being. What a freaking joke. Absolutely outrageous. But the silliness continues, and uh, we'll lighten things up a little bit with a little bit of music. This is uh, new music, actually. A guy sent me some music just about a week and a half ago. His name is Michael Presti, and this song is called Shine. It's the first time it's been played on Radio Orbit, and I hope you enjoy it.
4: From the first books written, your mind is now a prison. Are you awake? Don't be the last one to get it. With cosmic equivalent, the soul learns temperance. Hope is where the light is. So why try to fight it? We almost live inside it. So go ahead and write it. Truth becomes a weapon when you start to shine it. There's a war for your soul, hearts, and the mind. Time to jump in or be left behind. Are you lost in the darkness and linear time? Are you a child of the heart or a child of the mind? Duality is just a formality. Everything is one when you shine like the sun. No gravity is ever gonna hold you down. You gotta be lost if you wanna be found. The sun will shine. Something is one, or when you fall away, don't be afraid to make this world a better place, the
0: sun will shine away.
4: the darkness will never hold sway, so let go you gotta love and be loved, that's the only way, if I could write one song, it could save the whole world, this is what i say, to all the boys and girls, you know something's wrong in the world today, seven deadly sins, still more on the way. Gotta be strong and we'll up to what's wrong we're, we're the next generation So save this one nation Under God indivisible With liberty and justice for all Join me in the song Sing along The sun will shine my way. We can be as one Or we can fall away I'm not afraid The chance to make this world a better place The sun
0: will shine my way
4: The darkness will never hold sway So let go you got the love and be loved, that's the only way. The truth about the world is a test of the best. You gotta stand up in love or die like a rest. There's only one way to live, to give back what you give. Sometimes you gotta lose before you can win. Unite the heart and mind and let yourself shine. There's a rhythm in the world, so divine, so blind. Wake up and realize what's before your eyes. Go back to sleep, keep living in lies. Choices up to you, so decide what to do, follow through, and don't give up, always be true. Many a fool will come, many a fool will go, many a man believes in what he never will know. Are you experience what you believe to be? and stand up, you all, and repeat after me. I got the seeds, gonna plant some trees, sending a shout out across the seven seas. The sun will shine, We can be a darkness will never hold sway. So let go of the... You have to love and be loved. That's the only way. The sun will shine my way. We can be as one, or we can fall away. Don't be afraid to change. The chance to make this world a better place. The sun will shine my way. The darkness will never hold sway. So let go of the... You gotta love and be loved. That's the only way.
1: All right, that's Shine from Michael Presty. Great stuff. And uh, once again, independent music. And uh, just a little past midnight on the 21st now of February 2006. This is Mike Hayden. You're listening to Radio Orbit. All right, let's see. Let's uh, get back on with space weather here. Let me give out the phone number one more time, too, if anybody else is interested in calling. You can always give me a buzz. Tonight at 443-8255, that's area code 573-443-8255, all right? Okay, as I said, uh, the sun is pretty quiet. We've got a new moon on the rise next week about this time. It'll be a new moon. Uh, February 20th, let's see, yeah, um, today, or yesterday, I guess now, was the 20th anniversary of the Mir space station launch you remember, It was the Soviet space station that was uh, in orbit for many years and actually just crashed down through the atmosphere just a couple of years ago and crashed into the Indian Ocean, I think. Anyway, 20 years ago it was launched in 1986, February 20th. Let's see, on the 22nd was another Soviet launch. This is actually the 45th anniversary of uh, a launch in Russia of what was called the Cosmos 110 and the reason that was sort of significant was there were a couple of dogs on that launch that went up some 53 miles above the surface of the planet to low orbit and there were two dogs that were on board and actually made it back to Earth safely, uh, lucky for them and again it's just a you know, the human hubris that takes animals like dogs and monkeys and puts them in Spacesuits and shoots them up into the night sky uh, just to see if they can survive. It's not the most friendly behavior to take towards our, uh, our fellow creatures on the planet, yet uh, that's uh, pretty much par for the course uh, in a materialistic reductionist paradigm that we're just reaching the end of right now. Anyway, uh, the two dogs... Vedderak and Ugelyak survived, made it back down to earth. Hopefully they lived long, happy dog lives. All right, what else? February 26th. Oh, this is just something I wanted to mention. It may be of interest to people who are listening out on the West Coast. Uh, February 26th is a public event in Moffat, California, Moffat Field, California, that is uh, a discussion about Europa and uh the conference is called Europa life beneath the ice and it's uh addressing questions about Europa one of the moons of Jupiter that is uh a strong candidate for extraterrestrial life it's pretty much uh, uh believed now in scientific circles astrophysical circles that that there's liquid water on Europa and that it exists underneath a large covering of ice that sort of covers the moon. But the speculation is that the the moon generates internal heat, and that it's ice on the outside, and uh, the core of the planet, or of the uh, the moon on the inside. And then in between is like this ocean of water, is what they speculate. Anyway, it's uh, an interesting concept, and they'll be talking about it in California. On the 26th, if you're interested in that, uh, just uh, send me an email or go to the website, and you can check it out at MikeHagan.com, and click on the Space Weather page, okay? All right, what else? One more thing on uh, uh, tomorrow night. We wouldn't be able to see it tonight, but I guess let's see Tuesday, the 21st. If you go outside around sunset, uh, a little afterwards, probably half hour, 45 minutes after sunset, and uh, you'll see three planets that are uh, across in the the sort of twilight sky there and you'll see Mercury which will be low down in the south uh, a little bit due west or actually I guess it'll be in the west and a little bit south of west and Mars will be real high in the sky in the southwest and Saturn you'll also see uh, in the east Uh, so those three planets will be really visible over the next uh, week or so and you can go out just after sunset and check it out all right all right so that's space weather i don't have anything uh in particular to say about asteroids or comets or anything like that that have been spotted recently if you're interested in that stuff always take a look over at uh, kent stedman's website cyberspaceorbit.com. my good friend kent stedman who of course was on the air with us last week and if there's something strange going on kent will uh, sleuth it out all right okay let's see and um Looking at the phone. If you want to give me a call, the number is 443 8255 Give me a call and we'll talk. Uh, otherwise, I'll jump into some news here. All right. We'll talk about some of the things that are happening around the planet in the news. <clears throat> what do we have here? Here's one that I'm interested in. I've been talking about a lot. Uh, a venture for sharing Wi-Fi draws big name backers. A telecommunications executive said on Sunday, that he had received $21.7 million for what he called a global network of shared Wi-Fi connections from backers including Google, the internet phone service provider Skype, and the venture capital firms Sequoia Capital and Index Ventures. The, the network is being created by a software venture uh, called Phone, F-O-N, which was started by Martin Versovsky uh, in Madrid, Spain a few months ago. <clears throat> Uh, the service permits subscribers to modify their own routers so that users of Wi-Fi wireless technology can connect to the Internet at many physical locations in contrast to the limited range of access that is often available now. Mr. Vrasovsky said the company would re- uh, would receive revenue from a multi-tiered subscription model, which would permit users to share their Wi-Fi access point with other phone members freely or sell the service. The network is operating in Europe, and Mr. Vrasovsky said that he planned to expand it into the United States and other countries this year. Now, that may or may not happen with this particular venture, but wireless broadband is coming everywhere. And it's going to be either free or it's going to be very inexpensive. And it is uh, a wonderful thing. And I encourage it. And this town that we live in here, that we broadcast from, and uh, I actually don't live in Columbia. I live in Rocheport. Uh, but the city of Columbia, if there isn't a politician that is, uh, that is running on this particular platform to bring uh, wireless broadband to Columbia and make it available for all of the citizens here in this, in, in this community, well, then, uh, then somebody should be running on that platform. You know, if you want to get elected... To something, run on that platform. Okay, you want a way to get students to vote? Run on that platform, and make pot legal for Christ's sake. All right, you want students to vote? Do those things, and uh, and you're guaranteed a victory. All right, there's a tip from your radio guru. All right, what else do we have here? NASA and University of New Hampshire scientists uncover lost Maya ruins. This is one that I'm interested, of course. Um, listen to this. Remains of the ancient Maya culture mysteriously destroyed at the height of its reign in the ninth century have been hidden in the rainforests of Central America for more than a 1,000 years. Now NASA and the University of New Hampshire scientists are using spacecraft and aircraft-based uh, remote sensing technology to uncover those ruins, using the chemical signature of the civilization's ancient building materials. NASA archaeologist Tom Seaver and scientist Dan Irwin, both from NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Alabama, are teaming with William Saturno, an archaeologist at the University of New Hampshire, to locate the ruins of the ancient culture. From the air, everything but the tops of very few surviving pyramids are hidden by the tree canopy, said Seaver, widely recognized for two decades as a pioneer in the use of aerospace remote sensing uh, for archaeology. On the on the ground, the 60- to 100-foot trees and dense undergrowth can obscure objects as close as 10 feet away. Explorers can stumble right through an ancient city that once housed thousands and never even realize it. Now, there's a, a lot more to that story. You can get it on the web. Just go over to my website and click on the news page. Uh, that's at MikeHagan.com, M-I- M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N.com. Uh, but the way they do this is the the um, the stones that the maya used to build these fantastic cities and citadels of theirs were uh, primarily limestone if i remember correctly and uh, lime uh, has a particular effect on the uh, on the botany of the area the plants that live in proximity to these uh, to these large sources of lime uh, end up uh, displaying a different characteristic and, in fact, a different color. And so from uh, from above, if you know what to look for, you can actually just pinpoint them, apparently. And uh, we'll have to see what else they come up with. It's a little disturbing to know that NASA's behind it because if anyone will screw it up, they will. But uh, it's interesting that this is what's happening right now and that the uh, remote sensing is being used... Uh, to locate some of these ancient civilizations. Uh, The question is, what will they do once they locate them? I'm sure they have their own ideas about those uh, uh, discoveries as well. But anyway, interesting stuff nonetheless. All right, uh, what else do we have to talk about here? One more time on the phone, uh, 573-443-8255. Give me a call if you're listening. you have any questions or you want to talk about anything? 573-443-TALK. Let's see, here's one here. Space elevator tether climbs a mile high. The Liftport Group has built a cable for a space elevator stretching a mile into the sky and tethered on balloons, enabling robots to scramble up and down the line. To make the cable, researchers sandwiched three carbon fiber composite strings between four sheets of fiberglass tape, creating a one-mile-long cable about five centimeters wide and no thicker than about six sheets of paper. The aim is to produce a functioning space elevator by 2018, hmm. with a ribbon built from ultra-strong carbon nanotube composites to have solar-powered lifters carry hundreds of tons of cargo into space once a week, 50 times a year. Hmm, I guess they get two weeks off for something. I don't know, 2018? I think you better bump up... Your uh, time frame there, guys. I have a feeling that by 2018, your space elevator is not going to be as relevant as it might seem today. That's just my opinion, though. All right, here's another one. Spooky action and beyond. Viennese physician Anton Zeilinger talks about teleportation, the information stored in a human being, and freedom in physics. Yeah, this guy, uh, I'm actually going to try to interview him. His name is Anton Zeilinger and he's doing work with teleportation. And again, you can go read this whole story on the web. Uh, just go to my website and click on the news page, and, and then uh, just scroll down to you see a story that's titled Spooky Action uh, and Beyond. But it's uh, quite interesting, this, this, uh, this gentleman, whose name is Anton Zeiliger. I'll read a little bit of the story to you here, a little more than I, than I had read. The media actually calls this guy Mr. Beam and they sort of make light of some of his work, but he's actually a quite an uh, astonishing researcher and, uh, and physician. Listen to this. Uh, he's asked, what are you doing in this interview? And he says, I'm transferring the properties of light particles over certain distances onto other light particles with no time delay. The procedure is based on phenomena which exists only in the quantum world and is known as quantum teleportation. Then he's asked, it sounds almost as exciting as beaming. Yes, but there are two major differences. Firstly, we transfer properties, not matter. And secondly, until now, we have had more success with light particles and occasionally with atoms, not with larger objects. Now, the first one of these experiments was done in 1997. And uh, uh, last year, they were able to transport or teleport The properties of light particles, and this is so abstract when you try to get your mind around it, but the idea is that uh, uh, these particular particles have characteristics, and they are able to transport or teleport those characteristics and uh, recreate them on another light particle across, in this case, a distance of 600 meters uh, under the river Danube, by the way. And that's the longest, uh, by the way, that it's the record as far as distance. But it's done instantaneously. So the theory is that it could be done over any distance. And it's uh, the reason they call it beaming. And the joke is from Star Trek, right, Uh, that they would say beam me up. And it was this idea of transporting or teleporting human beings or uh, material objects from one location to another. And this is uh, what this gentleman and others are working on, and so, we'll have to see how uh. how that pans out. It's amazing the uh, the development of technology is advancing in all of these different areas, and the crazy thing is to what's difficult to try to imagine is the synergies that are involved between all of these different fields that are advancing. In other words, it's easy to look at one thing and say, okay, well, the technology behind uh, radio microphones is advancing at uh, an amazing rate to the point where, well, they're just really, really good. Let's just put it that way. You can do the same thing with an automobile, and you can say, well, I can imagine what the automobile of the future will look like you know it'll be um saucer shaped and it won't be an automobile at all it will actually fly in the sky and it will be able to move at uh, uh the speed of sound perhaps and it will use an onboard uh, fuel cell that's powered by thought or something like this and you can imagine individual advances but what's difficult to imagine is the combinations of these advances you know how will advances in genetics be synergized by advances in computer technology what about psychedelics combined with computer technology that's something that we sort of touched on uh, earlier tonight but uh, you know this is powerful stuff what about astrophysics all of these things that are advancing so quickly what about nanotechnology the synergies between them are difficult to imagine, much less model. And so things are coming that will probably be earth-shattering and probably astonishing and probably appalling at the same time. We're going to see all kinds of things that are going to be happening. And they're coming, and they're coming not in 2018 like the space elevator. They're coming... Very, very soon. And in fact, in many cases, they're here. It's just a matter of recognizing them. So, just uh, have an open mind and be ready to accept lots of strangeness. High strangeness, as it's uh, called in some circles. All right, what is it? It is uh, close enough to the bottom of the hour. Let's take a break here. Play a little bit of music. We'll come back and talk some more, okay? Okay. All right, this is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit. This is a song called Snow. It's written and performed by my friend Enrique. And it's off his album Enola Gay. And he goes by the performing name of Leek. So this is Snow from Leek on Radio Orbit. Check it out. (laughs) Leak with snow, more independent music on radio orbit, all right, this is Mike, and a number here at the station, if you want to get on the air and talk to me about anything is five seven three four four three eight two five five that's four four three eight two five five all right i've got a few stories here about energy and I think are worth talking about we've been talking uh, before the break there about. About the advancing of all of these different technologies that are all moving forward at astonishing rates, faster and faster, exponential rates, asymptotic rates, not linear rates. That's something to be very aware of. That technology, uh, since the beginning of technology, you know, 5,000 years ago with the first wheel and 10,000 years before that with the chipping of the first flint, uh, slowly at first, and ever faster. But if you plot the curve of technology over time, it becomes very clear that this is not a linear curve or not a linear situation that we're in. It's an absolutely uh, accelerating, exponential curve. And we, ladies and gentlemen, are going ballistic right about now. And over the next few years, It is going to be astonishing what happens, and it's uh, happening in all fields. This is the interesting thing, because we can look at individual fields, as I mentioned before the top of the hour, uh, or before the break, I should say, Uh, but the synergies between these fields are the things that are unpredictable and can lead to absolutely amazing, remarkable uh, potentials, and also some frightening ones as well. And who's to say where it's gonna go? I mean it's a very, very interesting situation that we find ourselves in here. It's absolutely astonishing. So anyway, okay, check this out here. Where should we start? Scotland. Let's start in Scotland. Scotland is the center of a gravity revolution. Uh where did this where did this story come from? Uh from the new uh from the Scotsman, okay, so this is one of the this is the one of the primary newspapers in Scotland. A shockwave tore through the space-time continuum that is the global astronomical community this week with the news that researchers at St. Andrew's University have apparently rewritten the laws of physics. For one of the basic tenets of astronomy, the universal force of gravity is now under serious challenge from a radical, competing theory which, in the words of one observer, threatens to open Pandora's box. Dr. Hong Shengzou of St. Andrew's and his Belgian collaborator Dr. Benoit Famé believe that gravity actually changes depending on where it is in the universe and have thrown down a challenge for their doubters to prove them wrong. Rather than exerting a uniform pull that gradually reduces as an object gets further away, Dr. Zhao and supporters believe uh, in a controversial theory developed in the 1980s by the physicist Modi Milgram uh, and believe that gravity is boosted in the outer reaches of the galaxy. Again, uh, much more to this article. If you go on the web and just get it, uh, um, get over to MikeHagan.com and then click on the news page, you can read the rest of the story. But it's absolutely amazing what these guys are proposing. And the establishment shudders once again. And this has many implications. That's why they, they said that it is uh, a possibility of uh, opening a Pandora's box because it really does change the way we look at things. And when you change the way you look at things, other things become possible. You know, if you uh, if you can't imagine something, if you're so certain of your beliefs in a particular idea that you can't imagine anything else, well, you will never ever uh, experience anything beyond that. You have to believe in the possibility of something before it actually does become possible. All right. uh here we go. This is one is uh this one is from Salt Lake City and it's another uh story about energy. Where did this one come from? This is from um it's called the PES network, another one of these news gathering organizations. All right, uh Chukanov quantum free energy moving to Europe after nearly 16 years in the United States, welcoming thousands of people into his home for a demonstration of his ball lightning generator. Bulgaria native Kirill Chukanov is now taking an offer that will relocate him and his family to Europe. There he will work on the creation of a powerful quantum free energy, free energy generator for commercialization. I've made many wonderful friends in America and consider myself an American, but no Americans ever offered financing, he said. I had many offers from other countries, but none from the U.S., so I must do what is best for advancing this science, he said, in reference to his quantum plasma research Again, the rest of the story on the web, just click on my news page over there, and an amazing story, this guy Chukanov, this guy Kirill Chukanov, another amazing, remarkable story. And the Internet is allowing all of this, you know, we would never hear, we would never know about these stories as little as 10 years ago, you know, the stories just don't have the reach that they have now. The fact that I have access to this stuff uh, is not special. You just have to know where to go and go get it. Anybody you know, can read these stories now. And it's amazing to me. Listen to this. Here's another one. Speaking of energy. South African solar research eclipses the rest of the world. There's a common theme here too. And uh, the United States of America, as advanced as we're supposed to be, uh, is running these people out of town. And I don't hear many of the stories about wonderful advances that are happening in science in our country. And it has nothing to do with skill level of the scientists. It has to do with the culture that the scientists are brought into. And it's a culture of uh, corporate deal-making and uh, government grants and tenure at universities. It has nothing or very little to do with creative imaginative thinking and uh the movement towards completely different paradigms it's just not on the menu in the west right now and uh, it's unfortunate because we have wonderful minds here like there are wonderful minds everywhere but they're uh convinced and corralled into doing work that is very short-term and short-sighted and uh, in many cases doesn't put their best foot forward, unfortunately. And Dr. Paul made that very clear, and others have that have been on the air with me, and it's something that's a big problem. But uh, being resolved uh, every moment, though, uh, I shouldn't speak so uh, so generally because there are amazing men and women that are doing great work And they're, in some cases, bypassing the traditional uh, means of getting their work out into the public for uh, analysis, debate, discussion, etc. And I applaud anyone who's doing that, whether you have a Ph.D. at the end of your name or whether you're a garage tinkerer who's come up with a solution to some particular problem. You now have the ability and the opportunity to share your work with others and find out uh, if it has uh, merit. And I applaud everyone who's doing that. Put your work out there. Put your work out there. Put your art out there. And that's what all of this work is. I mean, these creative energy developments. This one I'm going to read about solar uh, solar energy research is nothing other than a skillful employment of the imagination. That's what all of these things are. That's what all of our technology is. right. In a scientific breakthrough that has stunned the world, a team of South African scientists has developed a revolutionary new, highly efficient solar power power technology that will enable homes to obtain all their electricity from the sun. The unique South African developed solar panels will make it possible for houses to become completely self-sufficient for energy supplies. The new technology should be available in South Africa within a year. And through a special converter, energy can be fed directly into the wiring of existing homes. New powerful storage units will allow energy storage to meet demands even in winter. The panels are so efficient, they can operate through a Cape Town winter. While direct sunlight is ideal for high energy generation, other daytime light also generates energy via the panels. And uh, much more to this story as well on the web, but an amazing advancement now in solar technology. And again, think about synergy, think about the combinations of these technologies. We are getting close to breakthroughs in many, many different fields. Can we hold the planet together in the meantime? Can we hold the planet together before the madmen blow it apart? This is the question, uh, and this is the double edge of technology. The technology will either destroy us, in effect destroying itself, leaving whatever, some remnant of humans, certainly, and whatever else is left on the planet when the technology is gone. And, you know, it's sort of a one-shot deal, too. Uh, It's sort of a one-shot deal because the survivors of uh, the catastrophe, if that indeed is what happens, uh, will find the surface of the planet interestingly missing of metals and other other resources that are required to build or rebuild technology the way that it's been built now it's not that easy to rebuild it and it seems like we've got one shot got all our money on the table and the wheel is spinning the ball is rolling around And it's starting to slow down. It's about to drop. And it'll be interesting to see where it lands. Because the other alternative is a world that's unrecognizable, transformed by technology into who knows what. So these are scenarios that are staring us right in the face. And there are stories that come out in the news every day that reinforce the idea that these things are coming, and if you you know if you follow the mainstream news, they're you know they're pushing the one scenario, they're pushing the apocalypse because it sells newspapers and uh, and keeps people glued to their silly little cathode ray tubes. Uh, but it's not a, a certainty by any means that that's going to be the outcome, the apocalypse that all the Armageddonists are trying to bring about. There is another option. In fact, there are always options. There are many options. And outside of Armageddon, the options start to look pretty good because the implication, if we avoid Armageddon, is that we somehow get a rope around our Faustian, Promethean tendencies and can start to utilize the technology to solve Some of the problems that we have, and I think that they can be solved relatively quickly if we just changed our minds. We have the tools now. I swear to God, I believe we have everything that is required right now, today, to turn this boat around. And it ain't political. The answers are not political, they never have been. It's a matter of changing our minds and recognizing that it's possible. And these stories, in my opinion, stories like these that we read every week and that I see every day, uh, encourage me that that is possible. Here's one, another hopeful, amazing story. And we've talked about this on the air before, um, but before I get to it, let's take a phone call, all right? Hi there, you're on orbit. Who's this?
5: Hey, Mike, uh, Bob Bull.
1: Hey, Bob, how's it going, man?
5: Good, how are you? I'm all right. Um, actually, what I what I kind of wanted to explore with you just briefly or a little bit as long as you want to talk about it is this thing that Terrence talks about of the, uh, oh, we you know, everyone talks about the attack on culture,
0: mm. that,
5: you know, the ethnosphere is under attack. I mean, that we're destroying all these native cultures and, and the reservoirs of plant knowledge and all this kind of stuff. And he says that... Um, that really, what it is, it's not an attack on cultures; it's an attack on all cultures.
0: Mm, yeah,
5: you know that there's a, that they're actually trying to level level all cultures of so it. You know, since the powers that be are trying to uh, sort of put us all in a big shopping mall or something like that, or, or an airport waiting room,
0: <laughs>
5: and that that in a way there is a kind of a, a passing away of all cultures. And um, I don't know; it's, it's a little confusing in my mind because in some ways. I see a lot of the religious strife that's going on as you know, as as being important, but it I view it as sort of like the last gasp of, mm. of, of monotheism. You know, sort yeah. of like monotheism is kind of trying to tear itself apart. You've yeah. got the Muslims attacking the fundamentalist Christians and the Hasidim <laughs> Czech yeah. attacking the Muslims and you know, it's uh it's very strange. I mean it's very turbulent, but it almost feels like um like kind of like a last gasp.
1: Yeah, I uh I have to agree with you on that, but but it, on the, on the on the religious side it does appear that way and it's it, it's fascinating to me the whole I mean I I don't even like to get into it but the fact that these three religions the great three monotheisms you know are all based on the same thing mm-hmm. and it's just the it's the silliest thing um, but I know to people who really take it seriously it's not silly. In fact, some people would like lop my head off for just making that statement, you know. These well, days, uh, but see, I
5: find I find it sad that, in a sense, well, you know, I look at I look at um, at Islam in a way which, at one point, I mean, mathematics and science really owes its very life to mm. the existence of Islam. Certainly. At a certain point, yeah. you know, the Caliphate in the fifth century or whatever, fifteenth century. Mm. Before they were driven out of Spain, was uh, was like a high point of culture. It was. They preserved all the books. You know, Christians ran around like you know, literally Burn. destroying books. Yeah. I mean, thank God for the Arabs, or we wouldn't have even had Aristotle. But um, you know, religions change and evolve. You know, mm. but it seems like the uh, the big three have sort of gone backwards, and instead of evolving into a more humanistic, rational, kind of view, I would say even a more secular view of the world. They've kind of gone back to this stunted fundamentalism.
1: Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm I'm not sure if you heard uh, the show we did a few weeks ago with Joseph Chilton Pierce. You may yes. or may not have yeah. heard it, but he he's uh, he hasn't published it yet. But his new book is called "The Death of Religion and the Birth of Spirit," mm-hmm. and uh, he he talks directly to these points that you're making. Um, I have a copy of the manuscript, and it's fascinating. But he makes the point about fundamentalism that it's not that this is a new, a relatively new phenomenon. That ah. that it has, it, it's never really existed before, and that and that it really is rooted in in silliness again. Because see, the the, the 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 idea is that they're reaching back, right? In fact, that's what religion means. The word re, religion religio. is religio, reaching yeah. or linking back, right? Well, mm-hmm. the idea is that fundamentalism means that they're going back to fundamentals, going back to some 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 time in the past when supposedly things were all better, and he yeah. makes the point that there there is no such time right there there is no such time
5: i think I think in a way what uh what the major religions are kind of doing is one one person mentioned to be me, we were discussing Catholicism one day. And, you know, the idea of liberal Catholicism and, and of course, the history of, of the Inquisition and some of the horrors that, that the Catholic Church has, mm. you know, uh, put on, on the human race from time to time. And he said that you see Catholicism at its best when it has to compete with other religious thought. Then it, it shows you its best side. But whenever a religion has complete dominance, then you really see the bad side of it because mm. it, it has this kind of uh, megalomania about it. And I think, in some ways, the big religions, especially Islam and Christianity, are sort of longing for the day. Like in, in Islam, even Osama bin Laden keeps talking about the, the caliphate. You know, when mm-hmm. we when sort of rule the world, and um, and they look back on this sort of this omnipotence that they had. Fundamentalist Christians look back; they keep constantly referring to when we were a Christian nation, when everyone in this mm-hmm. country believed in God. And you know there were some terrible atrocities. I mean, this right. is what, you know this the religion that brought us slavery.
1: Right, right. This um, is the point: is that there there is no peaceful, wonderful past that 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 we can go back and get stability from. I mean, exactly. we, we have nothing but horror behind yeah. us.
5: But if you don't move forward and grow, if you if you look backward, it's kind of like your own death in a way. There, you can't really you can't really evolve or
1: well, or develop yeah.
5: anything that way.
1: Yeah. The um, I, there are, I have a couple of things that you make me think of. First of all, the idea of culture and government and religion. See, I don't see. I see very little difference between any of them. I mm-hmm. see. I see. A, I see a institutionalized religion no different than I see a government, because I see people that that bow at the foot of the Pope just like I see people bow at the foot of George Bush, and there's no there's no difference between them. They would both. Uh, stake their life uh, upon this particular ideology, whatever. The
5: mechanisms of social control. They're
1: just that's all they are. I mean, yeah. they're different. They're they're different tosses of the same coin, and that's why they work so well together. They mm-hmm. act they, they act like they don't, but they work very well together. The Vatican works very closely with uh, with all of the Western governments, and everybody who's paying attention knows it. And they're involved in as nasty of things as you can ever imagine. And but so are. All of the uh but so are the institutions of the east you know the the, the uh the, there's there's corruption that has run absolutely rampant throughout every institution on this planet in my sure. opinion and sure. so when 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 Terence talks about uh about culture being destroyed. I believe that he's right. It's not just aboriginal culture. And in fact, I think, in my own opinion, I believe that there's a resurgence right now in the, in the primary cultures. Uh, and I believe that the resurgence is, is, is coming in many cases through other races, including white people that are recognizing what's happening here.
5: Well, I think the rise in, in the interest in shamanism, for one thing.
1: There's, Absolutely. There's
5: evidence of that.
1: And the, and the whole point of that is to break down barriers, you see. Mm-hmm. So culture is dying, not only yeah. not only is religion dying but culture is dying too and good riddance to it because mm-hmm. because culture has not been our friend uh culture has uh has led us to a state of uh infancy and naivete and sure. and, and uh and it is time to grow up and 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 we're going to be forced into it you know it's becoming it's we're at the end of our rope yeah. A, you know, and science is another one of these things. Science is no different. We might as well throw them into the mix because, uh, you know, the dreams of science were supposed to deliver us uh, a paradisical world. Sure. Well, what 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 science has done is, has given paradise to about 3% of us. <laughs> uh, but the 3% of us that have it, most of us can't hardly sleep because we feel so guilty about the other 97%. Yeah, I mean,
5: and we're hoarding the, the major... The Julyans share of the world's resources and, uh, and making plans on taking the rest of
1: it. Oh, yeah, and, and, and we're stockpiling nuclear weapons and we're, and we're toxifying the, uh, the biosphere. This is what science has done yeah. for us. And, and, and the way that science uh, originally was proving you know, how wonderful it was going to be, see, it was, it was just a magic trick. It's just a sideshow because mm-hmm. the way they did it was with their fancy toys, you know, sure. airplanes and computers and and all of these things, but the, at, right. at at great great cost. At great Please cost. Just
5: an alternate term. I tend to think of of the problems of science or the the difficulties as being problems of technocracy, mm. where the technocrats kind of take over. These are kind of they're not really scientists at all. They're bureaucrats. Right. I mean, I look back on the on the pre-Christian. Uh, uh, Gnostics, as in a sense being rationalists, being these are the people I think of as, as being scientists. Mm. A true scientists is someone who is truly open-minded. Right.
0: You know, right, right.
5: scientific orthodoxy. I mean, is uh, you know, is is not science. And it's, you know, even if they call themselves that and they have tenure mm. at universities, right. they're not scientists. They're uh, they're bigots and uh, you know, yeah, and and pirates.
1: And, yeah, and unfortunately, it's uh, as I mentioned earlier, we do have. Wonderful minds, but 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 the cultural definition of scientists and where the money's at and where the work's at is just not not in the same places that that we might like it, you know.
5: Sure, and I, I think in a way the the more you go in, in this direction of technocracy and away from the idea of pure science and pure inquiry, this this nation is a disaster area in terms of scientists, as you mentioned earlier. These guys are leaving this country mm. and it's not that there isn't the money or the or the um, you know, or the, the institutions and the resources, but there isn't the tolerance of, of the true scientific attitude. Uh these these guys, these yeah. visionaries are really not they're not interested in being part of it. And some of it's just the sort of an immediate political thing. I mean like there have been numerous uh manifestos written by scientists saying how terrible the Bush administration is, how yeah. they're really anti science. Yeah. Yeah. Um and that uh, you know this is a this is not a culture which is encouraging real true science.
1: Right, I agree, and and you you make an important distinction there, you know about true science. What does it mean, you know? And I love science in that true form, you know mm-hmm. the 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 search and the investigation of mystery, and and to follow that wherever it leads you, you know, yeah. and 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 that's that that's the caveat that always. Gets messed up if it leads to certain places well in this particular culture it's taboo and and uh and then and then you get stopped up and and then you get censorship and all the problems that some of the scientists talk about um but at the same time i i see this tremendous outbreak of creativity that is just absolutely enormous uh in all of these different areas as well and see i i'm not i'm not sure that uh See, science anytime you start to censor yourself and your own mm-hmm. and your own best uh people, well, that's the death of your own yeah. deal, right? Exactly. So, I'm starting to see little things pop up like the work that Dr. Laviolette is doing, right? They're mm-hmm. they're sort of sidestepping the the established orthodox traditions of a peer review, for example, right? right. In other words, yeah. th- th- there are people It it turns out, and this is one of the most amazing things, and it's something that Kent Stedman told me years and years ago, but he said, Mike, you know, the the most amazing people, the people that are doing the most astonishing things, they're not in universities, they're not at IBM, they're in their garage, they're in their basement, they're normal people. And it turns out that once you give people like that the opportunity to... uh, to reach other people via these new communication technologies that we are so lucky to have, um, well, then anything can happen. So that's what I see. I I don't see a breakthrough coming from uh, tradition. I see something coming from left freaking field, you know. You know, it's
5: interesting because that's the kind of way things started back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. You know, these guys like Farnsworth and people developing television and DeForest guys you know mm. and Tesla they were kind of working right. in their garage, you yeah, know yeah. building these these antennas and stuff, kind of doing it outside of the mainstream, and you know sometimes they got funding, sometimes they didn't, but they, yeah. it was kind of the quantified school of technology they they sort of developed it on the on the cheap.
1: Yeah, I mean, look it's at, I mean, Einstein's, the you know, the the poster child example. He was laughed at. He was, all of his best work was done. He was a patent clerk. Yeah. And nobody knew him. Nobody would listen to him. You know, and that's, you know, speaking of patent clerks, you know, that, that blew me away when I was talking to Paul LaViolette, and he talked about when yeah, he was a patent guy clerk.
5: At the patent yeah,
1: it's amazing, yeah. and I'm thinking it's astonishing to me.
5: Something in the water, I guess. Yeah, I, I, don't know. <laughs> I
1: guess. So,
5: this is an interesting thing, though. I mean. Einstein in a sense uh had access to a lot of material of people that, that had worked before him and you mm. know he was kind of a pencil and paper man, he worked on the sure. blackboard. These days, I mean it's hard to visualize a lot of this work being done outside of things like particle accelerators and and uh, neutron bombardment mm. machines. You really I, need access to this high 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 craft software.
1: I don't think so, man. I think you know,
5: I, you know, I was looking at the Hubble telescope pictures the other day. I mean if you can stand to look at about more than about three pages of that without like starting to cry just the sheer beauty of it and imagine of course the hubble thing is kind of a disaster now it's going to lose its funding because bush wants to put men on mars or something but um but the the incredible technology that allows you to see that deep into space things unseen vistas that we could never even dreamed of i kept thinking of william blake and Mm. and the the painter turner you know the english Mm. painter Mm -hmm. these incredible landscapes these Abstract landscapes that looked like they were pulled right out of outer space, and uh, you know this is high technology. This requires billions of dollars of, uh, of software and stuff. And that, hard, and hard I don't work. know.
1: I, I would argue a couple things. I would say number one that the atom smashers and particle accelerators and this. I think that that's uh, that's misguided. I had Dennis McKenna. I'm, I'm I'm reminded of something he said a long time ago, and. He talked about how scientists are doing exactly that they 're spending billions of dollars to build these mm-hmm. giant uh, uh, these giant systems to make you know to try to, to you know to try to uh, mimic the conditions on the sun or something outrageous like that right mm-hmm. which they don 't even really know but anyway he says he, he said you know Mike, they are working at these huge." gigantic energy levels right yeah he said but interestingly some of the most remarkable things that happen in nature happen at voltages lower than the battery in your watch
5: mm-hmm. well i'm not, i wasn't speaking inter- entirely in terms of massive things i mean there, uh, there's an incredible amount of like research into nanotechnology right right right. It and almost how many angels can you dance on a, pen, of a pin right yeah. um I don't know it's it's interesting there's a there's another element which i which I find I'm kind of grasped just starting to come on to some of these concepts and the something that Tesla said he had a kind of a debate going with Einstein in which he really felt that that this whole business of of quantum physics and and atomic energy was like a move in the wrong direction. Hmm. He was saying that you know there is another way of understanding nature, and he tried to describe it. And I think there's some people that have sort of picked up, well, a lot like Dr. Paul LaVillette, I mean, Mm. he's very much against the sort of, what you might refer as the classic quantum physics explanation. Right, right. You know, uh, Terence talks about the the hoax of the Big Bang,
0: Mm.
5: Uh, that there is a whole alternative universe out there of theories and theoreticians, and of course they're not heard. Nobody nobody in the popular imagination even knows about them, but... uh, I know,
0: it's amazing. These
5: ideas, I think, are really Mm. fascinating to discuss, and I'm... You know, one of the threads I see running through a lot of the people that you interview is that they do have a very similar outsider view of science and uh, and I would say reality too.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, my my from my reading of history, I've always learned that the people on the fringe that were considered the nutcases always end up being the ones that were closest to to, mm-hmm. to, to the right direction. So. Uh, which doesn't mean that, that any of these people really know what's going on, but, th- th- you know, I always make that clear that I don't think anybody really knows what's going on. But i tell you one thing, the human mind is a big part of it, and mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: this is something that is, you know, taboo as well. And, and when you talk about the Hubble uh, telescope, uh, I can show you VISTAs, uh, more brilliant than anything Hubble has ever imagined seeing through its own lenses
5: grams of And i 'll do
1: it with five grams of psilocybin <laughs> yeah in your own apartment you know yeah, right. uh, so it 's a matter of perspective uh, the shaman believes that technology and i 'll use my word of the night is silliness because yeah. because they believe all of the technology required is internal you know and that they can yeah. and that they can manifest Anything through the dream, so you don't need an atom smasher or a telescope.
5: Or a telescope,
1: <laughs> or a telescope or a telephone you just yeah you know and so but it but it's such a uh it's it's a stretch uh for for us right now you know to uh to go there but but it it is it is worthy of investigation because because the 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 mechanistic materialist reductionist positivist version of reality has created a situation uh, that is uh, that has put the planet in a situation of peril. And, right. and we've got to start to look at some other alternatives. And, uh, and and for me, looking toward the Earth is the best place to start because that's where we come from.
5: Sure. Hey, look, Bob, it's top of the
1: hour. we got to fly.
5: All right. Good talking to you. Thanks
1: very much for your call. I always love right. talking to you.
5: Talk to you later. Take Bye. care of
1: yourself. All right, everybody, that was Bob Bolt and uh, one of the very interesting intellects around uh, this part of the country. Intelligences, I should say. Um, all right, this is Mike. you listen to Radio Orbit. Let's play a song here by the Wimshurst Machine. Another great band that we discovered a few months ago. Uh, played. Um, we featured the Wimshurst Machine when we had Jay Widener on the air back on the 16th of uh, January, I think it was. Anyway, good stuff. This one is called Charming Mechanics. Enjoy it. I'll be back in just a few minutes, and we'll talk some more. It's called Charming Mechanics This is Mike Hagan You're listening to Radio Orbit Alright, let's see here What do we got? Uh, let's get the phone number out one more time 573-443-8255 573-443-8255 Give me a call if you got something on your mind Glad to chat with you In the meantime, some more news of the Remarkable What did I want to say before uh, Bob called? Well, here's one that was sort of relevant to what him and I were just talking about. Revolution in a Box, the Center for Responsible Nanotechnology. Founded in December 2002, the the Center for Responsible Nanotechnology has a modest goal to ensure that the planet navigates the emerging nanotech era safely. That's a lot for a couple of volunteers to shoulder, but Mike Treeter and Chris Phoenix have carried their burden well and done much to raise awareness of the potential risks and benefits of molecular manufacturing, including a major presentation at the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency on the impacts of nanotechnology. Well, It's a, a good thought and a nice effort, but I have a feeling it's sort of like uh, the genie is out of the bottle, and it's just like the work that's happening in genetics right now. Talk about synergy, there's a couple more to, to, to put together. Imagine the advances in genetics uh, coupled with uh, the advances in molecular manufacturing and uh, nanotechnology. Throw the computer in the mix. Yeah, so the potential for absolutely outrageous things is right around the corner. And the interesting thing is that one of the things that Bob mentioned was about the, the, the cost prohibitive nature of some of these things. And it's true at 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 the high levels, yeah, it requires a whole lot of dough. But, you know, you can also buy gene splicing kits uh as a science project kit that you can buy on the friggin' Discovery uh channel, you know, for not a lot of money. They're cheap. So uh, I, I just see the tinkerers probably having more effect eventually Uh, than the establishment. The establishment is always behind the curve, uh, even though it doesn't appear that way, just because nothing else gets any airtime. Let's see. So anyway, interesting stuff going on there in nanotechnology. Mm, Aussies find lost world. A lost world has been discovered by Australian and other scientists in a remote mountain jungle. It is home to exotic new species of birds, butterflies, frogs, plants, as well as mammals. They are unafraid of humans, despite being hunted to near extinction elsewhere. It's as close to the Garden of Eden as you're going to find on Earth, said Bruce Beeler, who co-led the expedition with Adelaide Stephen Richards. The Australian, U.S., and Indonesian expedition of 11 scientists explored part of the cloud-shrouded Foja Mountains in the province of Papua that covers the western half of New Guinea as close to the Garden of Eden as you're going to find on Earth. Well, hopefully it stays that way, now that we know about it. Good luck. Reproducing the Amazon's black soil could bolster fertility and remove carbon from atmosphere, says Cornell, biogeochemist. This is amazing. The story of the Amazonian soil that's known as terra preta, and we've spoke about this on the air before, but I'll read this article to you. It's astonishing. The search for El Dorado in the Amazonian rainforest might not have yielded pots of gold, but it has led to unearthing a different type of gold mine, some of the globe's richest soil that can transform poor soil into highly fertile ground. That's not all. Scientists have a method to to reproduce this soil, known as terra preta, or Amazonian dark earth and it said uh, and say it can pull substantial amounts of carbon out of the increasing levels of carbon dioxide in the earth's atmosphere helping to prevent global warming. Uh, the knowledge that we can gain from studying the Amazonian dark earths found throughout the Amazon River region not only teaches us how to restore degraded soils, triple, triple crop yields and support a wide array of crops in regions with agriculturally poor soils, but also can lead to technologies to sequester carbon in soil and prevent critical changes in world climate, says Johannes Lehman, assistant professor of biogeochemistry in the Department of Crop and Soil Sciences at Cornell. So a couple things about this. First of all, terra preta is a phenomenon that was discovered a long time ago uh, by scientists uh, and um, explorers uh, back in the days of Cortez. And... It is absolutely amazing. It's ground that somehow never loses its fertility. You can grow uh, crops in it, uh, well, as far as they know, forever so far. Uh, Crops have been growing on it pretty much uh, nonstop for hundreds of years, and you don't have to fertilize it. And this article is sort of misleading from what I understand about Terra Preta they say that uh scientists have a method to reproduce this soil that's not necessarily the case the soil tends to reproduce itself from what i understand and uh what else do they say about this thing here it can pull substantial amounts of carbon out of the uh out of the atmosphere well that's assuming that that's the problem everybody assumes that global warming is a real phenomenon and that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is the, is the one and only supposedly uh, mechanism that's bringing on this effect. That's Again, it's, just a, uh, it's whistling past the graveyard. They have no idea what's causing the, the climatic changes on this planet. Most likely they're coming from uh, extraterrestrial origins, most likely from the sun and from cosmic rays uh, and perhaps from the internal energies of the earth itself. Uh, certainly carbon may play a part in this, but to just uh, assume that that's exactly what's going on is just silliness. <laughs> there we go again. Anyway, uh, terra preta is an amazing phenomenon, and it's absolutely outrageous. And, and uh, to my knowledge, it, it has not been explained by science. They do not know what's really going on with the stuff why it does what it does why it's capable of doing what it what it can do and this idea of reproduction what you do is you mix it with other soil and then it basically i don't know colonizes is the word that i that comes to mind but it sort of takes over the other soil and makes it like it it reproduces itself by using um other other soil that it's mixed with it's amazing anyway so that's uh, something that Western science is now taking a close look at, and I'm sure they'll take all the credit for it, but it's been a, uh, a remarkable and mysterious phenomenon for uh, a long, long time. All right, we talked about the uh, South African solar uh, research that's outrageous. We talked about nanotech a little bit. i got a few more things here, but I'll tell you what. Um, I wanted to uh, read something. so I think I'll read a poem real fast here. This is... Uh, something that Alex Gray wrote actually uh, peeking around at Alex Gray's website again this afternoon uh, just for inspiration to look at some of his paintings There's never never cease to be amazed by his work but anyway I noticed that uh, or remembered actually that he had some, some written work as well and there was a poem that I was considering reading when he was on the air with me last September but uh, interestingly Uh, We did something different. You should listen to that interview if you haven't uh, heard it. It's one of the best shows uh, that I did last year, I think, with Alex Gray. It was back in uh, early September of 2005. At any rate, uh, this is a poem. It's called Bless Your Eyes. It's by Alex Gray, and uh, it's a nice um, poem, and I like it. Your eyes are blessed openings, taking in what light ever brings. Treat eyes kindly, feed them well. They excitedly glisten and lovingly swell. Show them the worst all over again. They shrink into hollows of mortal skin. Bathe your eyes in images divine. All heaven unfolds, the opposites combine. Your eyes become temple domes for the Pleiades crystalline mandalas inhabited by deities, blessing every moment as you see as glimpses of eternity. them on the air just last week with Joanna Harcourt-Smith, and before that uh, you heard Mantwin Bard, my friends from Olympia, Washington, uh, with a song called Moonrise Nocturne that I played behind that poem called Bless Your Eyes by Alex Gray. All right, this is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. It is about 1.25 in the a.m. on the 21st of February. And we've got another half hour or so with you. The phone number here is 573-443-8255. You're welcome to call in and uh, chat if you'd like questions, comments, concerns, ideas, whatever. Uh, Give me a call. Uh, One more time, 573-443-8255. Love to hear from you. All right. In the meantime, we've got some more things to talk about here in the news. We've been on sort of a news kick tonight, but there's amazing things that are happening, so figure we might as well talk about them while we have the chance. Here's one that Dr. LaViolette would be interested in. Brightest galactic flash ever detected hits Earth. A huge explosion halfway across the galaxy packed so much power it briefly altered Earth's upper atmosphere in December, astronomers said Friday. No known eruption beyond our solar system has ever appeared as bright upon arrival. But you could not have seen it unless uh, you can top the X-ray vision of Superman. In gamma rays, the event equaled the brightness of the full moon's reflected visible light. The blast originated about 50,000 light years away and was detected December 27th. A light year is the distance uh, light travels, of course, in a year, about 6 trillion miles. The commotion was caused by a special variety of neutron star, known as a magnetar. These fast-spinning, compact stellar corpses, no larger than a big city, uh, create intense magnetic fields that trigger explosions. The blast was 100 times more powerful than any other similar eruption witness, said David Palmer of Los Alamos National Lab, one of several researchers around the world who monitored the event with various telescopes. And uh, that happened on December 27th, apparently, And that's interesting because if that was in 2005, it's really interesting because uh, an identical uh, event happened in 2004. And there were certain scientists that uh, connected the gamma-ray burst in 2004 to the tsunami that happened in December of 2004 and the earthquake that generated that tsunami. Anyway, this, uh, this particular story is comes from uh, let me see where where did I get this from that's from space dot com uh, from the science astronomy section and I have to just continue the rant because this again is just whistling past the graveyard the this idea of the magnetar well, it first came about in nineteen ninety eight or early 1999, if I remember right, and there was uh, a blast that was detected by some of these cosmic ray uh, devices that measure these things and the watch them. that blew all the scales out of the water. Everything went off the scale. Uh, it was an unprecedented event, and it really screwed up some of the ideas of Einstein, actually, because what they were determining was that the energy that was being released by this particular explosion, if it was what they thought it was, was releasing more energy than existed in the entire universe at the time. I mean, this is absolutely outrageous what they were talking about. But this is, this is how scientists are talking about these things. And if, you're, if you don't believe me, go look at a, a sci- or New Scientist magazine, in 1997 and 1998, and you'll find all kinds of talk and debate about exactly this. Uh, but the but the idea, it was the first time it was ever witnessed, so they came up with a new name, and they called it a magnetar, and they said that there was a star quake on a magnetar. This was the description of what we were told. Uh, and all that is is just the making up of something. They have no idea what what happened. And the idea that uh, a magnetar now has somehow been defined as a fast spinning stellar corpse no larger than a big city as quoted in this article is again it's peeing into the wind uh it's it's just uh you know it's the swing of the bat i guess and it's a good guess maybe but it should be presented as such not as fact all of these things are presented as fact when when they're absolute mysteries Listen to the interview with Dr. Paul LaViolette that we did a few weeks ago uh, talking about neutron stars and pulsars. Uh, You know, it makes it very clear that the the orthodox definition of these stellar phenomena is absolutely inadequate, insufficient, and uh, not true to the matter. Strange things are happening in the sky. We detect strange things. Amazing events happen. We detect them. That's about as much as we can say, in my opinion. You know, the amount of interstellar radiation that actually reaches this planet, that is picked up by every uh, radio telescope since the beginning of radio telescopy, is probably equivalent to the amount of energy, once again, that's in your watch battery. That's your sample. That's your sample size that you're working with. We have these. Devices that pick up the most minuscule of, of data, of energy, from these sources that are supposed to be light years away. In the closest of cases, sometimes tens of thousands of light years away, sometimes millions of light years away. And this is your data sample that we're making all of these uh, conclusions about. Talk about a jump. I mean, it's an absolute leap. So keep that in mind. We have very little idea what's really going on. We need to keep learning. We need to push science. Science needs to push itself. But uh, it needs to come down off its pedestal and recognize that there's very little that we really know. And that's a good, uh, that's a good mantra to, to begin learning again. You know, whether it's as an individual or as an institution, or whatever, recognizing how little you know is a great step towards learning a lot more. And it'd be nice to see that in science. It'd be nice to see it in religion. It'd be nice to see it in government with these buffoons. It'd be nice to see it in corporations. Uh, and uh, I don't know. It'd be nice to see it. The hubris really gets old after a while. All right, what else do we have to talk about? The growing habitable zone. Locations for life abound. In a galaxy filled with billions of stars, scientists searching for alien life need some way to pick out those which are most likely to harbor habitable planets and moons. Do I even have to go on? I will. Uh, And then I'll continue with the rant. Um, Listen to this. An important tool in this screening process has been the concept of a circumstellar habitable zone. Traditionally, this zone has been defined as a narrow disk around a star where temperatures are moderate enough that water on the surface of a planet can exist in liquid form. And the idea is that where water exists as a liquid, uh, that life might arise. Beginning in the latter half of the 20th century, new information began to emerge that challenged the traditional view. Scientists on Earth began finding rugged organisms thriving in harsh conditions that were off-limits to most other creatures. Meanwhile, images being beamed back by robotic probes in space revealed that other moons within our solar system were much more interesting geologically and perhaps biologically than our own. And the uh, story goes on, and it's actually a pretty interesting article, uh, again, with the certain assumption brought along with it, the assumption that life somehow has to be uh, proliferated throughout the galaxy or throughout the universe in a fashion that is familiar to us. I understand that water, obviously, is something to look for. Water is something that on this planet, life requires. There are, actually, apparently, a few uh, life forms on this planet that don't require water. Uh, but anyway, the great majority of life on this planet requires water. So, looking at other planets and, and moons for water is an obvious uh, an obvious goal. And if you find it, that's great, and you it's a great place to look. But it has no bearing on other forms of life that might have developed in situations different than the ones on this planet or on water uh, water-bearing worlds. We have no way of knowing what those world's environments might be like and what organisms may develop within the confines of those systems. And to argue that, uh, that life is not possible without this element or that element or this uh, molecule or that molecule is, again, hubris. We have no way of knowing. We, we have a very small uh, sample of data, that being our planet, basically. So, life may exist everywhere, it may exist nowhere, who knows? Uh, My own opinion is it's probably everywhere. There's probably much more of it than we know of, and it's probably more alien than we could ever imagine. And it probably doesn't drink water. Chips that really get under your skin. Without the white headphones, how will anyone know you're listening to an iPod? Researchers at the Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology weren't concerned with such weighty questions when they developed a chip that allows you to listen to an iPod using your forearm as the transmission wire for the audio signals. The chip was detailed in one of several presentations during a session called Silicone in Biology at the International Solid State Circuits Conference uh, last Thursday. The KAIST, as it's called, has built a Prototype chip, it thinks, solves some of the problems encountered in setting up personal area networks that take advantage of the body's ability to conduct electricity. Yeah, so um, more talk of the, the so called personal area network, the PAN, where your body and its ability to conduct electricity would literal, literally be used as a network to connect all of your electronic devices. Maybe your telephone. Uh, and your iPod, and your computer, and your, I don't know, maybe a handheld PDA or something like that. But the integration of man and machine is another thing that is on the horizon and is coming fast and furious. How will that impact everything? (sighs) Window to the heart. A new eye exam can spot heart disease. Some say the eyes are the window to the soul but an Australian medical researcher says they are the window to the heart and beyond. Tian Wang of the Center for Eye Research in Australia at the University of Melbourne has shown in several large-scale studies that abnormalities of the blood vessels in the retina can be used to predict patient's risk for diabetes, hypertension, uh, stroke, and heart disease. These four disorders are some of the most common causes of death, hospitalization, and disability in the developed world. This is really interesting because there's an old art And I wish I knew the name for it, but there are um, individuals, and I actually know one. Uh, There's this guy, his name was Kirk, and I used to work with him back in Denver, but his wife was one of these people that I'm going to talk about. And they look at the eyes and can, well, or attempt to diagnose physical ailment through the way that the eyes look and things that they see inside the eyes and it sounds exactly what uh, what they're saying in this particular article here that apparently the retina, you know, the eyes are amazing if you ever look closely at, at at another person's eyes. If you're with somebody right now, man, just look at their eyes, just stare into them for a few minutes and you will see images like the ones you see from the Hubble telescope that Bob talked about earlier. Eyes are amazing. They're just these beautiful works of art. Every single one of them is. And every single one of them absolutely unique and different. So, anyway, the eyes are the window to the world and maybe to uh, uh, to your health as well. All right, we're going to play one more song here. And then we'll come back and uh, finish things up, okay? Be back in just a few minutes. This is Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit and I'll be back in just a few minutes. This is one more from Michael Presti, some new music that I got just over the last couple of weeks, and this one is called 440. 440. All right, one more time, that was Michael Presti. That song is called 440, Independent Music. Thanks for sending that, Michael. We'll have to play some more of your stuff uh, down the road here. All right, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. And a quick thank you to Mark Heim who just gave me a phone call and uh, clarified something, a question that I had. The idea of looking at the eyes, um, I mentioned that, there, that are, uh, there's a holistic approach to this. And Mark uh, called and reminded me that it's called iridology, and the difference, or, or the main difference, I guess, between this and what we were talking about, uh, the article that I just read is in the article they're talking about machinery that looks at the, at the retina of the eye in order to do these diagnoses. Well, the iridology actually looks at the iris, the colored section of the eye on the outside. So um, thanks very much, for Mark, for uh, providing that information. Okay, let's see. What else do we have to talk about here? We've got about 15 minutes and I'm trying to see if I have any other uh, stories here that I missed. And I do have one more, I think. No, actually, I don't want to read that one. So let's go here. You know, uh, maybe I'll just talk about something for a minute that just sort of comes to mind. I Believe it or not, Dick Cheney made me think of this. And this uh, accident, whatever it was, where he shot his friend with a shotgun and uh, nearly killed the guy. 28-gauge shotgun from some 30 yards away, 30 or 35 yards away. Anyway, lots of questions about what happened, but I actually see the thing as uh, uh, something a little bit different. You know, we've been talking about technology a lot tonight and this idea that that the advancement of technology is not a, a linear curve. And there is an idea that has been put forth about the particular phenomenon of the advancement of all uh, human endeavor uh, toward some sort of conclusion. And it is an exponential curve, an asymptotic curve like we talked about before. And one of the things that seems to be on the increase with everything else is the the phenomenon of synchronicity. This was a term that was coined by the Swiss uh, death psychologist uh, Carl Jung And uh, John Lilly, one of my favorites, John Lilly used to call it cosmic coincidence. That was his term basically for the same thing. But synchronicity, just sort of these uh, strange connection of events. Uh, Some people might call it even instant karma or something like that. Well, that's sort of the way I took this whole Cheney thing. As time speeds up, uh, the rate uh, increases of all of the unfolding of what's happening right now on this planet. Uh, Jung talked about how it, synchronicity would increase in situations like that. And that was a synchronistic situation, I think, that happened to Dick Cheney. Synchronicity doesn't mean it will be good. It just means something uh, strangely ironic and maybe uh, unpredictable will, will come about. And here you have our vice president out doing what he does best, uh, killing <laughs> and, uh Innocent animals. I'm sure that were probably cage released birds. It would be too easy to hunt in the wild. And I know they were driving in a car as well. And this is what's so interesting about it. Regardless of why it happened or what or what happened with it, there have been many things that have come to light since that have just made the vice president look like a complete buffoon. And it doesn't matter what uh, Scott McClellan or any of these guys say. The bottom line is there are a whole lot of people in this country that know a little bit about hunting, and you can't uh, uh you can't tell them a story because they know how things really work out there and when the details of that story came out the fact that they were driving that they were hunting from a, from a from a vehicle which is totally against sort of you know the the ethics of of the quote unquote true hunter anyway lots of different things that came to light but i found it just uh, this interesting synchronicity that uh that mr cheney was out there shooting ducks in a barrel and the tables got turned really quickly, really unexpectedly, really in an improbable manner. And, uh, in spite of all of the gigantic things that a guy like he has been involved with over his 40 year, uh, political and corporate career. And, you know, you don't have to go into it. And this is not a political politically partisan rant. I mean, uh, you know basically pick take your pick pick a politician i don't care uh you know go into the senate pick a republican pick a democrat pick 10 of each and then uh start researching their background a little bit and you'll find different levels of scum uh, most likely you find very few that uh, that are honorable or altruistic most of them have their own agendas uh, some to a greater degree than others certainly uh, but I have very little respect for for most of uh most of the politicians that are uh in Washington and in our state government quite frankly uh politicians in general are just uh abhorrent uh to my <laughs> sort of ideals but i'm I'm an anarchist at heart I guess I think things would work out a lot better if there were absolutely no government whatsoever, and people were left to their own devices believe it or not um <clears throat> so anyway. Uh, Dick Cheney, been involved in all kinds of horrendous uh, activities and hurtful things over the years, uh, but skated, completely free, walks away from that stuff as if it never happens. you know. Uh, but this little thing, this little twist of fate, the cosmic giggle, just smacks him right in the face. And I thought it was just sort of, uh, I thought it was really sort of funny. And uh, you never know when it's going to come and get you. Nobody's immune. Nobody is immune. Not Dick. Not nobody else. All right. Uh, Oh, this is a story that I actually did want to read. I should have read it around space weather. I'm glad I got a couple minutes to read it at the end of the show here. Um, A major anomaly in Chandler's Wobble has been uh, detected. Now, Chandler's Wobble is the idea that the Earth, as it spins around on its axis... It doesn't spin perfectly um, per- perfectly smoothly. It has a little bit of a wobble in its axis, sort of like a, when you spin a top. Uh, sometimes a top doesn't spin perfectly cleanly; it, it, it wobbles a little bit. The reason uh, that has been given for this is the tidal effects of the moon and the sun. Tugging back and forth on the Earth as the Earth spins around its axis, and so uh, these forces that are acting on our planet from outside cause what's called Chandler's wobble, and it's something that's been a, uh, been measured for uh, probably a hundred years, uh, not 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 much longer than that. I think. Uh, there were some earlier periods of anomalies that were actually recorded maybe 75 years ago back in the early 1930s i think but anyway it hasn't been a whole lot we, we don't again it's one of these things we don't have a whole lot of data the earth has been spinning for a long time and uh we don't have record of uh, of the spin for a long time so who knows if this is uh really uh you know something to be uh, uh noting or if it's just one of these things that happens uh, occasionally without uh, any significant effect but anyway listen to this Five weeks after the beginning of the pause, on January 8, 2006, the Earth still has almost no net wobble motion aside from very minor quivers such as are typically caused by atmospheric and tidal conditions. During the past few days, however, a slight motion backward can be observed in the track of the wobble. Chandler's wobble is virtually a flat line, but the latest graphs from the IERS, that's the International Earth Rotation Service from where uh, we get this data, uh, which is the only authoritative source of information on the motions of the poles, uh, shows a little reversal of the track. Other than this reversal, the daily track of the location of the spin axis as seen through a spiral graph such as the Wobble Track, uh, wobble track software is showing only tiny little rotations of a few days in duration in almost the same spot. Something has paused the normal spiral motion of the spin axis. Quite obviously, we can deduce that there is a relatively large developing anomaly in the spiral motion of the spin axis, including a huge phase shift, a shortening of the length of the normal seven-year cycle, the tightening of the spiral motion into an exceptionally small spiral, and the major acceleration in the drift of the spin axis. Know this goes on a little bit further, and again, you can get to it on the web. Just go to MikeHagan.com and then uh, click on the News section. Uh, and again, there... Speculation, I think, as to what the result of this will be, we've never seen it before. But it's certainly interesting that the uh, uh, Chandler's wobble seems to, for whatever reason, have nearly disappeared. And the spirals that he's talking about is this. Uh, they, it, it's sort of like a. Um, oh, if you picture like a seismograph, you know, that records earthquake activity. Well, it's sort of like that, but um, it swings in a circle. And as the wobble of the earth occurs, the circle spirals in and out, and, and, it, and it creates a, um, uh, just a spiral on the graph paper. It's also sort of like you've seen those uh, uh, mandala sand painting things, so these things that you hang a little uh, pendulum from a hook, and uh, it has like a point on the bottom of it, and it is just barely touches the, the top of a... Uh, a field of sand and then you swing the arm a little bit and let it let it let it run around and it and it can make a spiral in the sand like a mandala below it so anyway this is what they're talking about there but it's pretty interesting that chandler's wobble is basically gone right now so take that for what it's worth this is mike hagan you've been listening to radio orbit come on back next week we'll have neil haig on uh, on the air with us neil haig is a visionary artist he's an author uh, has written some amazing uh, work himself. He's also an illustrator, does the illustration for many of David Icke's books. Some of you may be familiar with David Icke. We'll talk to him about David for sure. And uh, we'll do the usual stuff as well. So stick around. you got some good music coming up in just a minute. And this is uh, one last one to finish things off. It's Eskimo, and the song is called Find You Here.